Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 54th episode of The Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, who are you going to main in Street Fighter VI, do you think? Who, who are you looking to <laughs> play this this coming weekend? Oh, gosh. I I really don't know. I have You've not, played very limited Street Fighter uh, games in the past. Who, who have you gravitated towards in the past? Any uh, iconic characters that have always spoke to you? I don't think so. I, I've played like probably a single digit number of total Street Fighter games in my life. Hmm. Um, I've definitely played a game with Chun Li and a game with Ryu. Yeah, they are they are they are staples. And uh, I don't know who else I've played. Sure, some characters. That's fair. I've always been a Ryu basic bitch. If I'm feeling spicy, sometimes Akuma or Ken, but I don't know. I, I just like, uh, especially the last big one I played was four arcade edition. Ryu, I just, mm-hmm. just, just, just a clean, clean gameplay, man. He was just, he was just a jack of all trades, lots of good hitbox interaction windows and input commands. There was just a lot to like about Ryu in that game. So I think I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to base myself, hunker down in some Ryu territory and branch out from there. Okay. There was one guy with really long arms. Dawson? Some big guy with really long arms that would jump back and hit it with his arms. I like yeah, that it's guy. Dawson. Dawson. Yoga fire. Okay. That one. Is he in this one? I believe Is he in so. Six? There's usually like okay, a maybe core I'll play group that guy. of them that, that stick around. It's like Ryu, Ken, Dawson, E Honda, Chun Li, uh, Guile. Okay. He gets to do Sonic Boom. Did you watch that one video that's the Flesh and Blood's a fighting game that was making the rounds this week on Twitter? No, I haven't seen that one yet. What's what's it about? Flesh and Blood's a fighting game? It was Yeah, it just was comparing Flesh and Blood to like uh different fighting games and then James White actually commented on like a thread on the video saying like he's like he loved fighting games and that he took a lot of inspiration from it um overall. And uh yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting video, interesting conversation. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to check it out. I saw it pop up on my thing, and I was like, "This is not, this sounds interesting. I'll watch it sometime." And then I didn't watch it, so I'll check yeah. it out. So, what are we talking about Fair today? Um, we're gonna go back in time. We're traveling all the way back to talk about Monarch Limited because that's what we're gonna have to play coming up here. Monarch have to, Limited. But we're gonna get to play. We're going to have an exciting opportunity to be forced to play it in tournament <laughs> situations. You're not forced to it's play. It's not like you, you show up and be like, well, what limited format do you want to play today? I'd like to play Welcome to Wraith Limited, please. Okay, you go to the Welcome Wraith Limited tournament, and then you go to... No, you're forced to play Monarch if you want to play in the tournament. No, no. Yeah, if you want to play in the tournament. Playing in the tournament's a privilege, though. It's like something you get to do. Not something you have to yeah, do. Yeah, but can, if you're privileged to do you it, you're forced to play it in the way that you're supposed to sit down and play <laughs> in the tournament. You can't just sit down and put out Pokemon cards and be like, oh, I'm playing yes. card games today. We. <laughs> I do agree that if, if you are playing- If you're sitting down, you are forced to play. You are. You're opt- <laughs> that's, like, that's like saying I went to a flesh and blood tournament. They forced me to play flesh and blood. <laughs> it's what you're yeah, you are forced into. to play flesh and blood in flesh and blood tournaments. <laughs> You don't have the option to not just play flesh and blood. Play yeah, the do, rules of the game. Not playing the tournament. That's just what the tournament is. It's like, then you're doing it's something a else. Tournament. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
if you would like to play this tournament that contains Monarch Draft, you are forced to play Monarch Draft in order to do this playing of the tournament that contains Monarch Draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you want to do something else, you have to go somewhere else. I mean, you can do like other events at the tournaments. Yeah, but if you want to play in that particular tournament, at that particular mm-hmm. point in time and space and periphery, the rules of the tournament <laughs> are such that you have to, you are forced to play that particular set of cards. Okay. Okay. Nobody's holding you down, compelling you no. to play them, but the rules of the tournament. The rules of the tournament are forcing you to. Mm-hmm. That you opt- opted into. <laughs> yeah, you, you opted to be forced into doing something. You gave your consent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Monarch Draft, neither of us have played a ton of the format, but we've both gotten to play a little bit of it now, right? Yeah, and then we just did Manor University where we watched the finals of the one calling with uh, in Auckland, was it? Yeah, it was in Auckland. Yeah, all the way back in 2021, back before Michael Hamilton took over the world. Back before they stopped holding limited callings. Tears. They'll host another limited calling eventually, you know? Maybe. Maybe. It's been a year and a half since, I think, Cincinnati was the last one. Yeah, they're busy, though. They got they got things to do. They host classic instructed callings and blitz callings. Hmm. Hopefully we get more. I love limited callings. Yeah. That's, that's what cool. I, I think. I don't know if I would have started playing the game if there wasn't a limited calling near us. It definitely was a, and you know, we want to talk about this barrier to entry thing that people have been talking about nonstop. You know what the barrier to entry to a limited calling is? Tournament price of entry. Show up. You don't have to buy a single card. You don't have to do anything. Show up. You got to have sleeves. You get to play flesh and blood. Do you have to have sleeves until top eight or you have to have them the whole time? Oh, that's a I good question. I know what the. Pro, the pro tour you were required to have sleeves, but I don't know if day yeah. one of a calling you would be required to. Day two, I'm I'm pretty sure you would, because I think day two is the same level as a pro tour. Sure, sure. Either way, the barrier to entry to that event is like eighty dollars. You want to lower the barrier to entry to play the game, get to the highest levels, play, do more limited. There we go. We solved it. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> don't need any fine dolls, spring tunics, or thousands of dollars. You just get to show up and play. I hope fine dolls, spring world. tunic is never a thousand dollars. It's part of the deck that costs a thousand dollars. It's a fifth of the deck. Sure, sure. Getting to be a quarter. So, so Monarch Limited. There's four heroes. There's two light, two shadow heroes. Yeah, there's three heroes. You got Bolton, Prism, and Chain. You're forgetting one. I don't think so. You got Bolton, Prism, and Chain. Who else? And Levia. Who? Leviash. <laughs> He's not that bad, right? Have we you played, won a game with Leviash? Ma- <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. I have not won any games with Leviash, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. It's like Riptide, right? Is it like Riptide? Yeah. If I had to pick between playing Riptide and, and Outsiders Limited or Leviash and Monarch Limited, what would I pick? What would I force myself to play? You haven't played enough Monarch Limited to know. I think I'm leaning towards Riptide. (laughs) Riptide's kind of fun. 
You just lose a lot. I mean, there are, I mean, as we saw in the format, eventually, if you had the right combination of cards, you could have a good Riptide deck. They were rare. They were like unicorns, but they happened. So I think, I think Levia is better than. I don't know if she's better than Riptide, but she's not. She can't be that bad, right? So, like, let's get into like what makes Levia so awkward. I guess to start off with, then it's the fact that like, so she's not particularly good at blocking, and the best versions of her deck because so many of the brute cards in the set just have no block values. Like, so you just you know, there are just going to be some number of hands if you're looking to push like the most amount of damage and be the most efficient value of levy deck that you're looking to be where you're you're just going to have non-functional block hands you're just going to have to say to your opponent yes please give me more damage i i don't i don't have any other way to interact with you other than attacking you so yeah both dread rumbler and smash with big tree are both commons that don't block and then at rare there's pulping and then a handful of others so <sighs> there's even the majestic blue that doesn't block Terralim from them yeah your favorite card. yeah that was tricked into playing <laughs> but yeah so that's that's issue number one is just a, a inherent just not being able to block gameplay is just taken away from you and that coincides with uh issue number two which is a lack of way to spend action points sometimes where uh right. there's not have a, enough action points yeah have enough action points to like play full five four or five card hands so like if your cards are both clunky on defense and then clunky on offense, you're already kind of pivoting yourself into this awkward gameplay interaction. And then I think the nail on the, like that just is the, in the coffin of, of Levia is the fact that like, after you do your above rate damage, which Levia can produce some very, very powerful high damage turns. After that, if your opponent is able to survive and just block out, in, um, or keep their life total healthy enough to just sur- survive your uh, onslaught, you're just going to die to your own blood debt because you don't have any other way to mitigate that or stop that damage for the rest of the game. You you basically have put yourself in a position where since you did not kill your opponent, you don't have any more counterplay. You just die to your own card. So you had to banish in order to do your above rate things. So that's just kind of like the trifecta of why I dislike playing Levia so much. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts as to why any of those points aren't, aren't accurate. No, I think, I think all those points are accurate. And like the, what Levia brings to the table to make up for these weaknesses is probably the best weapon in the format with uh meat axe. It's two resources for three, sometimes for five, just that is two resources in an action point for five damage is like and way better than that, anything, which is, which is not nothing. Doing. Yeah, that's, that's true though. It is kind of nice if you're going to have a turn where you need to banish a lot of cards from your banish or from your discard, sure. but um, I think she does have probably the strongest weapon or definitely like one of like her weapon is solid. And then the above rate stuff you were talking about, that is, that is powerful that she has attack actions that like a, a two card eight. Like if you look at dread, oh gosh, dead, deadwood rumbler. I'm not, then I'm struggling with the names of the cards. Deadwood Rumbler is the one that banishes a card. If you you draw a card, discard a card. Um, I think Dread Screamer is the one that gets, yeah, yeah. Dread Screamer is the, the one that gets go again. So Deadwood Rumbler being a, a two card eight at red is, is just very very powerful. That's 
way a way better rate than what most other heroes are capable of. I say I say way better, but Prism is like two card sevening, but they have Phantasm, which I guess is I guess a lot of Levius cards have downsides too, but Phantasm's like a pretty big liability at points. Mm-hmm. Um and then even like the two for sevens are quite good. And then she has some two for sixes that have go again with uh Dread Screamer and Red Pulping. Though Red Pulping also doesn't block, but Lavia is capable of doing some things that are above rate. And she also has evasion if she gets uh the there's a rare that gives dominate um something about bellows of hell. Convulsions from the bellows of hell as an additional cost to play convulsions from the bellows of hell banish three random cards from your graveyard a card where six or more power is banished this way the next attack action card you play this turn gates plus three and dominate oh that's actually nice that it also um it's just card attack action card so it buffs like weirdly that buffs anything so you could like play that and then come in with like a stony wooten hog or something like that and then that would get buffed um yeah I, th- I think the best combo with this card is graveling growl because it costs one and it comes in for a lot of damage like the red comes in for seven and you can only play it if a card with six more powers and banish this turn but if you have the bellows of hell whatever it's called plus graveling growl you can two card 10 with dominate which is a or three card 10 with dominate which is a great way to to close out a game yeah and then you have unworldly bellow is like the other like premier pump at common um and at red you get plus four um power to your next brute or shadow attack action card and i think the biggest issue that i have with this card was we were playing a game and i was like ooh, um it's going to be just like barraging beatdown where i'm going to be able to play my brute buff and then my club is going to get buffed by my thing and then it's nope does not buff your club it has to be no card. it's not and I think I would be much more on board with Levia if this card, because then you you kind of have like a really clean gameplay there, like game action. You get to pitch a blue, play your unworldly be- uh, unworldly bellow, attack for either seven or nine. Like that's a fine gameplay yeah, two, loop. Even a two card seven is quite good in Monarch Limited, and then a two card nine is like very very good. Yeah, because we talked about it, a one card five being good, getting four extra points out of your second card is also great. And it turns off uh, your blood debt for the turn if you hit a six with the under unworldly bellow as well, which is quite nice. And then additionally, the unworldly bellow doesn't even need to hit a six to get the plus four, whereas the bellows of hell, you do have to hit a six to get the plus four. So yeah, unworldly bellow is a pretty nice card even, and it would be much better if it worked with the meat X. But it doesn't. That's not the world we live in. So I'm over it. Do you want to, can we move on to chain? Can we talk about a good hero? Uh... Oh, what, do you, what else do you have to say about Levia's defense? What else do you have to say about Levia? I guess the, the last thing for Levia is the, the shoes are really important. We talked about her struggling to spend four card hands and your opponent sometimes just being able to block you out and waiting until you miss on a blood debt clear and then you just die. Um, if you have the hooves of the shadow beast, that gives you one turn where you can basically spend a four card hand to prevent or present reasonably above rate stuff. And yeah, just getting that second action point's really, really nice. Um, even food's also good as a bailout for your ability where if you don't have a way to banish a six, you can use even fold as kind of uh, a very expensive way to not die to your own blood debt, but 
Yeah. It is a good out. It's a good way to have your deck not kill you. What a what a powerful hero that I'm excited to play. <laughs> okay, we can move on. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this hero, though, Michael. He's he's called Chain, and um, what he does is he has this activated ability once per turn. He can make something called a Soul Shackle, and what that's going to do is it's going to give your next Shadow or Runeblade action go again. And then at the beginning of your turn, you're going to banish cards from the top of your deck for each Soul Shackle that you have. So uh, if you have Soul Shackle 1, you're going to flip over the top card of your deck and it's going to go right to your banish zone. And you're like, well, that's bad because I don't get those cards. But uh, Chain has these uh, then amazing ability where his cards from Banish can actually be played. So it's almost like he's just drawing extra cards for free at the beginning of his turn. It's almost like that. It's basically like that. Do you think that's a very good hero ability? I like go again. I like drawing extra cards. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds powerful. Right. Glad we're on the same page. So, so chain does seem really strong in the in monarch. I think it's very scary playing chain though, because a lot of the time I feel like the strategy against chain or one of the strategies you can employ is just block, 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 block. Hope they run out of cards and die. And yeah. When you're playing against someone doing that, it can be very hard to. You, you have to be very careful and you have to have the right cards to make sure that you just don't run out of cards and die. Yeah. Getting... And that's why I think LSS and their wisdom put a card called uh, Seeds of Agony uh, in the limited format, specifically to help boost chain because. Uh, that's going to help him push this split damage of, of arcane damage. And uh, there's not a lot of ways to mitigate arcane damage. Notably, there's Ebonfold and Halo of Illumination that have Spell Void. And then there's words of legends that maybe there's even an item that you could play in your deck that would also have Spell Void. But I've never seen anybody play that card, nor I think, do I think I they think ever Dream would. Reavers. Dream Reavers also has Spell Void, right? Prism's Gloves. Yes, they do. You're right. So there's a couple instances of Spellvoid, and then obviously Prism has the ward on the Spectral Shield, so she's the one that's most able to handle this like uh, barrage of arcane damage. But everybody, uh, the other three heroes, Chain himself, Bolton, and Levia, just have to eat the arcane damage and be happy about it. And then he has a slew of cards in Limited that then are, reward him for dealing that point of arcane damage after he plays... Uh, after he deals that first point of arcane damage, like rip the reality or uh, piercing shadow veil, right? Mm-hmm. Piercing shadow vice. Yeah. Oh. Those just start to become very above rate, very solid attacks that you get to uh, play from your bandage zone and he can just snowball out of control. And I think that's really going to dictate what chain decks make or break is how well they're able to leverage those like arcane damage bonus cards. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the last thing of note for me about Chain is um, a lot of the attack actions require a non-attack to be played from in order to play them from your Banish Zone. I guess Bounding Demigon requires one and then uh, Riftbind benefits from them. So, And these attacks also have three or less power depending on what color they are. So Chain's a very natural fit for Belittle Minoism, which is one of the more powerful things to be doing in this limited format where like you pitch a blue, you play a red belittle and you get a red minnowism. That's a one resource and a card for six points of value, which is huge. 
Yeah. And that's to say nothing of the fact that Chain also blocks pretty well if he needs to. A lot of these class cards, a lot of his cards also block for three. So unlike Levia, he gets the ability to block if he wants. And then not only do does he have Seeds of Agony to push Arcane Damage at rare, there's Vexing Malice. And as we saw in the finals of Calling Auckland, like that card just closes out games very quickly. And mm-hmm. I just think there's... I think if he's overdrafted, obviously, I think if there's like three plus chains in a draft pod, that's where he's going to be weakest. But if there was one chain in a draft pod, as we also like, once again, hearkening back to the calling Auckland, he can just run away with the pod. And I don't think any of these games would be particularly close from then on. Like, I think the the deck that I'm most scared of is like a very good chain deck in this format. Yeah, I I think that's part of why chain is scary to play also. If there's three chains in your draft, then there's a reasonable chance your deck is atrocious and quite bad. And like, it's very difficult to not just lose to fatigue if you're the third chain. But if you're a one of one chain, it's like probably going to be one of the easier three O's that you could have because just your deck's going to be so powerful. So threat dense, you're going to have so many good blood deck cards. It'll be, I don't want to say easy, but you'll almost always be able to push through your opponents trying to fatigue you. Right. Especially if you have cards like a uh, soul reaping too, which is also at rare and, that card is just ridiculous. The like the the value you get out of that card, especially if you're attacking either of the light heroes that have cards in their soul, is insane. After like, I think there was a game where I was on Bolton and I thought this game's kind of close, and then you attacked me with a soul reaping. I was like, well, this game's over. <laughs> just, <laughs> just off of the one card. Yeah, yeah, soul reaping can, is quite good, especially if the light against light heroes that have cards in their soul. Yeah, because it gets so, go again for free then. Mm-hmm. there's just a lot of things that i think chain has going for them overall in the format um on top of just being just one of the most busted hero abilities i think ever i, th- I think i would still give him the strongest hero ability ever it's close between him and starvo but i think starvo still at least like asks you and has like some uh like kind of m- more stringent deck building requirements where chain just needs cards that you can play from your banish zone and then he's just good to go yeah and all the cards that you can play from your banish zone they're all below rate basically except a rift bind that you played a bunch of non-attacks before and i guess bounding demigon also bounding demigon and rift bind and piercing shadow vice i guess if you have del arcane okay maybe they're not that far below rate. <laughs> about to but, say they're pretty good <laughs> i was like they're all below rate except this one and this one and this one okay okay and they all block three. <laughs> yeah. I guess the non-attacks are kind of the, the weaker ones. Sure. Seeds is a full card for one point of damage. And then uh, How From Beyond is two resources in a card for three damage. But even still, these cards are like, if you're not spending a card on them because you're just getting the card for free, they're really nice pluses. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also have like, I would agree that the non-attack actions aren't super exciting, especially like you look at Seeping Shadows, which is, cost three blocks for two and then at red um just gives a card plus one and go again like you're not even getting a huge bonus it's just as it just costs on the scaling of the card that gets that plus one damage and go again off of it but i mean he's just so since his hero ability gives action points he can be starved for action points um and a turn cycle and it could be hard for him to play a lot of cards so like that's why you would play cards like that in order to actually clear your uh banner zone and make sure you're not carrying cards with blood debt for too long yeah sometimes spending like when you're getting the seeping shadows for free sometimes spending a blue 
um, sometimes spending a blue for an action point and one point of damage is a great deal, especially when it's enabling cards that care about playing. Um, especially if you get that blue off up a little line of wisdom too. So I mean like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That sounds like a constructed <laughs> deck and you activate your spellbound <laughs> creepers and take a note, play your plunder run play. from arsenal <laughs> seeds of agony and blood deck cards and chain. Okay, cool. All right. Made the note. Uh, so last thing about chain that I think is, a strong point for chain is he can use like most of the equipment very well. He has, I think the best class specific equipment with Aether Ironweave. though. Bolton's, uh, Bolton's gloves could gallantry gold could give him a run for his money, but Aether Ironweave is quite good. Two resources and one block value is very strong. Mm. And then, uh, he uses stubby hammers quite well. He uses time skippers pretty well, where we talked about you would want to sometimes trade a blue for one damage and an action point. Well, you can trade a blue for an action point. And I think Chains the Hero, you probably do that the most often on. But yeah, and then even fold where you can spend one resource to banish a card and draw a new card. If that card is a card you can play from Blood Debt, you're basically spending one resource to draw a card, which is also quite good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're going to save the best for last. So now let's talk about prism. thought we were saving the best for last. We are. Uh, so <laughs> prism is a little awkward, much like Levia. Um, I think she is my, if we're, if we're writing the heroes in tra- terms of like worst to best, I think worst is Levia. Then I would actually go prism. And then depending on the build or pod or what goes on, then it's either Bolton or Chain. But if but if you had to give me either a nut Chain deck or a nut Bolton deck, I think I still lean towards Chain being the best deck in the format. But um, I guess to like set expectations, like there's some awkward things going on with Prism. Do you agree with that? Yeah, Prism's definitely kind of awkward. And I think... I don't know where I would rank her in terms of power. I think like Levia is the worst and the other three heroes are like the closest. I think if I'm going to be in a hero that's highly contested and I'm one of these other, if I'm one of the four heroes, but I know I'm going to be highly contested, I think Prism's like the safest one to be highly contested. That's fair. Similar to like Assassins and um, Outsiders, or even if you look back at Uprising, Phi, if you were in a contested hero, being Phi was probably where you were hoping to be. You don't want to be in a super contested Dromai or... Yeah, but... Prism doesn't like a lot of her turn cycles are blocking with two cards, pitching a card to play a card. So she's not super duper punished by being too a little contested. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's a little bit awkward about Prism is once again, lack of action points. Obviously there's no Luminaris as her like mainstay weapon. She's playing Iris of reality instead. So uh, she can kind of struggle to use four card hands in the situations where she's not blocking with those cards. So I think that's like another point that's kind of awkward about her. And then, you know, we just talked about Chain having the best hero ability and, and um, you know, being notoriously broken. Prism never had the best, you know, hero ability, but her card pool in Spectra auras, especially in Classic Constructed, is like what carried so much of the power level of the deck. But in Limited they're pretty bad actually like you don't really get 
a lot of value off of them. And then much like Levia, once again, having cards in your deck that just don't block and these don't even attack. They do very specific interactions at given time intervals. They're just like the spectral auras are just pretty difficult to play overall, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. Outside of getting Luminaris, it can be pretty awkward to have them in your deck. And then like, even if you are including them, them in your deck, I feel like reasonably happy to sideboard them out against chain and potentially other matchups, though I, I'm not super confident on those. But I, I definitely like boarding them out against chain because they don't block and you kind of have to threaten fatigue as an alternate win condition against chain. Yeah. And then in class constructed, obviously setting an attack or something like that at a spectral aura is uh, a pretty big deal because the turns are usually so efficient or you would hope they would be in class constructed. Whereas, you know, at the end of your turn or just throwing like a blue Ginty anti at like a Genesis is not really punishing your opponent to the <laughs> same level as they would be in class constructed. Right. 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 That's fair. No, Rosetta, even Rosetta Thor in class constructed is still four damage that you're sending at the spectral, sh- spectral aura, but, mm-hmm. and limited you're usually attacking it with like maybe uh an axe in the case of bolton or your one powered galaxy, galaxy black, black for one or whatever yeah mm-hmm. so prism obviously what makes her the best in limited or i guess the best thing prism can be doing in limited is attacking with these above rate heralds that have phantasm so if your opponent's not blocking them they are pushing quite a lot of damage and they're having pertinent on hits where the heralds are also going to soul which then lets you allows you to generate spectral shields off of them or then you have like herald of protection i think is like the best heralds in limited overall um i might I don't know how good Herald of Erudition is overall because there's the iron um, hide equipment usually floating around, so it's not usually too difficult for your opponent to block them. But I think um, Herald of Protection obviously being just the strong amount of damage and netting you that Spectral Shield on top is just like, the at, at least a common, definitely the best one, I would say. But I don't know if you agree. Yeah, Herald, Herald of Protection is crazy good especially the red where you come in for seven which is a tough break point but even the yellow can be really tough sometimes because like you talked about chain having a lot of three blocks not everybody has a lot of three blocks depending on your yeah hero. only I guess chain, chain bolton prism, and prism chain yeah. bolton and prism have a decent amount of three blocks but like if your hero's contested you end up playing a reasonable amount of generics and it's not and the generics don't block yeah yeah the generics all block for two basically I guess rise above blocks yeah. for four, but that takes two cards. And then nourishing emptiness at majestic blocks for three. Sure, sure. Yeah, but at, at common, I think all the the generics block to except the defense reaction, which I think is a rare anyway. But anyway, the on hits are very good. Herald of protection, specifically getting that spectral shield that is worth one point of life and potentially stops on hits. And if they don't kill it, you get an attack with it by pitching a blue to come in for four go again. That's just like a great rate. We talked about meat axe being a good weapon. Well, if you have an aura to attack with, then Iris is one of the best weapons, like even CC paying for uh, paying three resources for four damage plus go again, would be great trading a card for four damage on your blue. It's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, um, and then 
her piece of equipment, which is the like at common the um bracers, right? Dreamweavers. Dreamweavers, yeah. Um they're not amazing. You don't even know if they're gonna be pertinent on a given turn cycle before you activate them. And um hopefully you can get use out of them on Spellboy 2 against Chain, but there's not really a lot of application for that. So they're just kind of mediocre overall, I would say. Yeah, I think Dreamweavers are definitely the worst of the four the four uh, class specific equipment, and I don't think it's particularly close either. Like, yeah, the best use of Dreamweavers, I think, is maybe giving a Spears of Surreality go again, so you can for sure follow it up with your Herald. Or if you happen to have the Majestic Phantasma class, and that's a great one to to Dreamweavers because it comes in for nine. Or you attack with frontline scout and you're like, oh, they have the popper. I see it now. I played my frontline scout from Arsenal and I see the popper. So I know for sure I get to activate my dream weavers and have it be relevant this turn cycle. You know, that's a, that comes up all the time, right? Yeah. All, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I think prism does, make the best use of the Ironhide equipment though, out of all the heroes, because a lot of the time she can pitch a blue to block with an Ironhide. And then after your opponent spends their action point, you can use your two floating resources to create a spectral shield using her ability. And then if you do that and they don't have an action point, then you're for sure going to get to your turn with a spectral shield and you can use your Iris, Iris of reality, Iris of something to pitch a blue to attack with that spectral shield for four damage, which like we were saying was a great rate. So Ironhide equipment, great on Prism. Dreamweavers, fine. I don't know if I would value them higher or lower than Ironhide Gauntlets, which isn't a great spot to be in compared to the other heroes who their class equipment's all like insanely good for them. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, well, that'll wrap things up. And uh, the next time you're playing Monarch Limited, always remember, (laughs) mind your manners. We didn't even talk about your favorite guy. I don't want to tell people how to play Bolton. I don't want to tell people. Then people will know he's good. And then I can't be the only Bolton drafter at all my draft pods. Okay. So here's how you play Bolton. (laughs) We have a responsibility. We have to tell people that Bolton is actually good in a format. Yeah. So I guess I'll let you talk about Bolton. You start telling people about your favorite guy. Oh, no. I have to tell them exactly what makes him good and what isn't. Okay. Well... You see, there is there are two good charge cards, uh, specifically, <laughs> that you're going to want to look out for in Bolton. As long as you can prioritize these two charge cards, you're going to have a phenomenal time playing in your draft, have a grand old good old time. Uh, first one, a common, take flight. If you're playing Bolton, just if you look at a pack, there's a take flight in it, unless there's like a Lumina beacon or this next card we're about to talk about, you just take that take flight. It's what you do 100% of the time because... What's going to be awkward about every single other charge card is your opponent's going to have the agency to basically decide whether or not it gets pumped uh, to give it go again. And so let's say you attack with something like one of the zero for threes, like Bolt of Courage, and you charge it, and you then you want to follow it up with like a Valiant Thrust. If you're not, if you don't have a way to pump it, then you can't play any of like your charge matters payoff cards. And that's also kind of like the other big reason to be playing Bolton is you get these hyper efficient one cost cards that 
uh, in Battlefield Blitz, you have one for five go again, and then you have one for seven in Valiant Thrust, and those are at rare, so you're going to see a good amount of those. And I think especially Valiant Thrust um, is particularly powerful. You know, at blue, it's going to be you know a one for five block three, like that's just an amazing rate for a blue card. And like I was saying, at least with Take Flight, you're going to have the action point to then benefit for the additional cards you're playing. And if nothing else, what's also going to happen is Bolton's hero ability, which is uh, so if you've charged that turn, um, your cards will get plus one when defended by an attack action card. It's better for each card that you attack with, obviously. So if you attack with your first card and then it's getting plus one, your opponent blocks with it, that's cool. You got plus one off your power. But then for each subsequent attack, you're getting more and more value off of your hero ability without even talking about whether or not you're then also giving them go again with the second half of his hero ability using cards and soul. So take flight is basically just like what actually gets the gears turning in Bolton to make him like an actual powerhouse in limited. And then at rare, um, we talked about chains, like busted rare card, soul reaping. Um, and you know, that's a very, very powerful card, but it's legendary. Um, at rare, Bolton gets via the Vanguard, which is just an absurd card in limited. Like, if you just get to go via the Vanguard, uh, axe axe, like that's just going to be uh, banish two cards. So that's going to be V for five, axe for four, and then axe for five. So that's a fourteen damage turn. So I mean, it doesn't take too many fourteen damage turns to close out a game of limited, right? Yeah, and, and there's kind of more to it than it's just 14 damage. It's 14 damage that if they block with a single attack action, it becomes 15. If they block with two attack actions, it becomes 16. So <laughs> it's it's four, 14 damage that is it's definitely not unblockable, but it's like difficult to block and your opponent is disincentivized from blocking. And if you start with 20 life, if 14 of it you don't want to block, well, you die pretty quickly. So via the Vanguard is probably, probably the best card in Bolton, even counting Majestics. I it's just probably best card taking the majestics over via the vanguard in Bolton. Um, and then the oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the uh, the other thing I would note about the the worst charge cards is they aren't like unplayable by any means. You can still play them in your deck. You're just not nearly as excited as to have them as you are take flight because all of these other charge cards you need to do the work to figure out how to buff its power, either playing a minnowism, playing a seek enlightenment, playing a courageous uh, steel hand, that one, the, the attack reaction. And then you can use the card that you just charged to give your card go again, which is okay. You're doing a two card six with go again. A lot of the time, if you're doing it on one of these zero costs, um, if you're playing seek enlightenment, it's two cards and a resource for your six. So that's a lot worse, but it does threaten to go into the soul of it, so that helps. Yeah, so I would agree with that. And then I guess below that, so we have uh, take flight, or sorry, via the vanguard take flights, and then specifically at reds, you're gonna want to look for express lightning. Um, it's just a zero for four that blocks three. Like that's just perfectly solid rate. Even if all you're doing is just blocking with two cards, attacking with express lightning arsenal fine nothing below right there you don't even have to charge a card you could just ignore that line of text if like um you don't care about it and then this is a light card so you're gonna have to compete with this card from prism uh but red illuminate um is also something to also look out for and the reason why 
these additional cards that cause zero are also so important is after a V the Vanguard, you can add any one of these in addition to for uh to add to the chain to push even more damage on your V turns. So um they're just good rate on their own. They're good in conjunction with everything else you're doing in the deck. And uh they all the the zero for four is both block three. So they're also the those are the next cards I'm prioritizing in Bolton pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Red, red Illuminate is just like such a powerful card itself. Just zero four three. That's red wounding blow in a format where like this this format's a lot weaker than Welcome to Wraith. And red red wounding blow is a card that you're pretty happy to play in most Welcome to Wraith decks. Um so this format being a lot weaker than that format, just getting a zero four three with also this on hit of going into your soul, which is probably worth one ish, maybe two ish, depends on the turn that you end up having with that extra card in soul. But it's very nice to have an extra card in soul. So yeah, red eliminates great. And a lot of people say, you know, then and overall this is still true. Where Bolton's a very good little minnowism deck on top of this, um, and that's true. Um, but like I said, I was pri- prioritizing. Obviously, you want to be playing red take flights. Uh, or like red of a lot of these cards, and they're going to have four power at red. Uh, that's you're you're still going to have a lot of cards that have sub three power, but um, I would just be mindful of that when prioritizing little minimalism super heavily. And it's also a case where like in chain, he's he's going to have a lot of ways to spend resources off of like blue minimalisms and stuff like that if that's what you're tutoring up. And it can be pretty challenging to spend a lot of resources in Bolton just because most of his cards cost one or zero. There's not a lot of like twos, threes, or fours floating around for like his casting costs. So that's just something else to be mindful of. Yep. Red Minnowism is definitely more more what you're looking for with Bolton just to be able to pump your things and then use your Bolton ability to give them a go again. Yeah. So... Um, Equipment, yeah. the the gloves, Bolton's gloves, uh, Gallantry Gold are one of the, I think it's capable of just like turning a one card hand into the most damage I think a one card hand can really do in this format where you pitch a blue, you activate Gallantry Gold, and then you attack with your first axe, and then you can use a card from Soul to give it go again, and you attack with your second axe. And that's seven damage off a single blue and using your equipment and a card in Soul. So that's a, a very powerful one card hand that getting gallantry gold enables yeah um, on top of the one black value one block value that it has with its battle warrant so like you can pretty easily just get eight value off of it yeah the other the other gloves uh that you want uh stubby hammers are also yeah, reasonable and bolton it's not it's not too much to ask to play two cards with three or more power or three or less power in the same turn and then it also turns on your bolton ability to banish a card from soul to give it go again so those red zero for three charge cards look a lot better with stubby hammers because you can activate stubby hammers play a bolt of courage charging a card and now it's coming in for four and you're able to give it go again whether they block it or not so yeah agreed but yeah that's the secret to the success i've had with bolton some of our my best bolton decks have gone toe-to-toe with like the best chain decks um, and I think those two, like the best versions of those two decks, I think are just by far and away more powerful than the other two heroes. Um, but yeah. I, I will say if you get Luminaris, then Prism's probably up there. Luminaris. I don't even really know if that's perfect. true. I really don't even know if that's true because 
like how many auras are you ever having on the battlefield at a given time and limited? Like, yeah, I, I guess like maybe if you get Luminaris pack three, it's not insane. But like, if you have time to build your deck around it, where you're like prioritizing yellows, you're valuing war tune heralds really highly because you have go again now. And you're actually wanting the yellow auras because you have Luminaris and the one that just makes spectral shields. I can't remember the name of it. Prismatic or pris- prismatic shield. Prismatic shield. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, the, a lot of the your pick orders change when you have Luminaris and those cards get a lot better. That's so, fair. That is a good point. I'd say, but I guess the best versions of Luminaris Prism are still going to lose to the best versions of Chain and possibly the best versions of Bolton as well. Yeah. And Luminaris is a majestic, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to get it very often. And the fact that it's, uh, I think LSS kind of talked about and gave us some insight into how their legendary majestics work and they show up about half as often as regular majestics. We learned that with the whole um, surgical extraction mistake when they were talking about that. So Luminaria should show up, I think about half as often as regular majestics do. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess if we want to talk about like majestic weapons real quick, that's the other knock on, uh, Levia, we can bash on her real quick again. Hexagore, the Death Hydra, unplayable. Uh, just ignore that. I imagine you'll get that last picked if it's ever open in one of your packs 100% of the time. Um, then you have Reeve in Bolton. Sure, or, or we can talk on Dreadscythe. Dreadscythe can let you play Fatigue Chain, actually, just because the consistent arcane damage is just so good. And then you can actually play a game plan where you're just consistently blocking with all of your block threes and, and almost like playing like Chain Oldheim at that point where you're just block, 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 Chain swing. Heim. Yeah, just block, 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 attack, block, attack. Like that's, that's all you have to, you don't even have to ever make a soul shackle at that point. Yeah, I, I think. I, I don't know if the best chain decks play Dread Scythe, but Dread Scythe can save your chain deck if it's not looking great. Yeah. And then Raiden and Bolton is fine. I don't think it's earth-shatteringly amazing or anything like that. Once again, it's going to scale off of how many take flights you have. Um, just because take flight into Raiden is just one more point of damage at base than take flight into um, either of the axes. You can give Raiden go again, but it's hard to manage a lot of cards in soul like that at that point. And you kind of want to keep some around for like your big payoff turns because you're going to have those in Bolton if, if you have a good Bolton deck. So it's good. It's efficient. And, but it also, once again, runs into the same issue of like if you're attacking with uh, like bolt of courage red how are you giving it go again to then come in with your raiden so uh and then obviously on the turns that you don't or you're not charged uh it's attacking for zero so you're a little bit more susceptible to be fatigued at that point as well so there's just a lot you kind of have to factor in with raiden i I, i'm not in love with it overall unlimited i would say yeah and the hatchet ceiling with like both gallantry gold and via the vanguard which are a common and a, a rare that makes it hard to want to pass up on them if you have either of those two cards. Yeah. And those are two of the stronger pulls in the bolt, and I would say, especially V. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's our thoughts on the heroes of Monarch Limited. Do you have anything to put a little bow on everything? I guess I have some final overarching themes about the format. I think 
a couple of things that are important to pay attention to in your draft is trying to fill out your equipment. We talked about it with each hero, how the equipment is very powerful for them. Um, one piece we didn't talk about is the the chest that uh, Blood Drop Barricade, I think, with yeah. that uh, you can sacrifice it if you've taken damage or dealt damage. Either on defense, you can combine it with an Iron Hide to get a free block to you on a following up an attack that did damage to you. Or you can use it on offense a lot of the time for those hands that just need one more resource to really function or like mm-hmm. be f- efficient. And then just the equipment's really powerful in this format. So all the battle war and plus an effect, like coming from outsiders where the equipment's all blade break with an effect that's worse than the effect of these battle worn equipment, it feels like you should be prioritizing equipment pretty highly in Monarch because it's so strong. And then the other two things are non-attack actions that block well is very good against Bolton and obviously poppers are extremely good against Prism. So those are the last kind of things to look out for in your draft that you should probably be valuing those cards a little bit higher than you would if Prism or Bolton didn't exist in the draft format. I think the only non-attack actions that block for three are Bolton's warrior cards anyways, which is pretty funny. Uh, Levy has uh, some. Oh, Levy has some. That's right. That's right. I don't think Chain uh, The hero that doesn't exist. Yeah. Chain. Yeah, I, I think all of Chain's non-attacks block, block for two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course that generic or the class, the base class cards, they all block for two as well for the non-attack action. So yeah, it's just Levia and Bolton that have three block non-attack actions. Yeah, I guess one last note about that is the if you're going to play a bad two block and you're never using, like a blue two block that you're never going to play, you probably would rather have a non-attack than an attack. But that's sure. very small. Makes sense. Okay. Any final thoughts from you? Uh, I was just kidding about everything I said about Bolton. He's unplayable. Don't play him. If you're in my draft pod, he's very bad. So don't, don't play him. <laughs> And with that being said, the next time you're playing Monarch Limited and not playing Bolton, always remember, mind your manners. We'll see you next time.